Today's program is entitled Talking in Tongues. Thank you for joining me today for another episode in the program Give Me the Bible. What I pray and hope for is that you have learned that God loves you very much and I hope you are finding the way to eternal life. I hope also that you've discovered that in despite your past, your sins can be forgiven, and I hope that God is a part of your life right now. Today, I want us to look at what the Bible says about talking in tongues. You may be aware that there are some religious people who maintain that you cannot be saved unless you have the ability to speak in tongues. We need to be sure what the Bible says about this subject and not get caught up in a wave of hearsay. That's why we'll be looking at this subject today. Many unsuspecting people have become caught up with certain religious groups unaware that what they thought was being taught as truth was only partly truth. Remember this verse. It's found in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. I'll repeat that. It's Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. It says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them the only sure guide on which to to base our beliefs is the Bible. Well, anyhow, come back to the issue where some have said you have to speak in tongues to be saved. If you're able to check in a concordance, that's a kind of a Bible dictionary, about what Jesus said on the subject of being saved, This is what you will find. He that endures to the end shall be saved. Now that's found in Matthew 10, verses 22 and 24, uh, verse 22 and chapter 24 and verse 13 and Mark 13, 13. He that endures to the end shall be saved. And then you'll find this in Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Then, in the Gospel of John, is another statement. I am the gate, Jesus is speaking. Whoever enters through me will be saved. It's much the same if you look up who will be given eternal life. Being saved and being given eternal life mean the same thing. There are other references to saved and eternal life But the most authoritative statements must be the words of Jesus. And I've just read some of his statements to you. Interestingly, Jesus never spoke one single word about speaking in tongues as being a necessary requirement to having eternal life. So... That premise, that is, that so-called requirement to being saved, comes from another source uh, other than what Jesus taught. When the term talking in tongues is used, 
It means speaking in another language that you've not learned. Some claim that it's a known language. That is, it is used by certain people groups. Others claim that it is an unknown language, understood by God or someone whom God allows to know it. Some claim that it is a language of the Spirit. Some years ago, two friends of mine, Ken and Dave, following separate disasters in their lives, decided to commit their lives to God, but were not too sure about how to go about it although each of them knew a little about the Bible. They thought a good place to start would be to attend some different churches. One of the first churches they attended was a large, popular, evangelical church with a congregation of several thousand. The meeting that day was a revival meeting and there was lots of loud music and emotional preaching. Toward the end of the meeting, the preacher made an altar call and invited those who wanted to be saved to stand up and receive the Holy Spirit. Ken and Dave stood up and nothing unusual happened. Others who stood up suddenly started to speak in unintelligible languages and some even began jumping about the place. To say the least, it was a pretty lively event. Then the preacher invited those who stood, but who in his words did not receive the Spirit, to come down to the church basement after the service. Ken and Dave were among the group who went down to the basement. There they were met by some of the church assistants, who massaged the necks and backs of the invitees, including, of course, Ken and Dave. While this massaging was going on, the assistants were saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Some people then broke out speaking strange words. By this time, Ken and Dave were thoroughly spooked and got out of that place as quickly as they could. They never returned again. They said to me later that they thought that God gave spiritual gifts, including the gift of speaking in other languages. Yet, in the situation I've just described, they were being induced. They felt that something was drastically wrong. I want you to remember that we are considering whether or not one has to speak in tongues to be saved. The subject of spiritual gifts is raised by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. I want to read to you verses 7 through to 11. It says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, 
speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. It's quite evident from this passage of Scripture that these special abilities are given, that is, they are gifts of the Spirit. Ken and Dave were certainly right about that. It is also quite evident that different individuals are given different gifts. But did you notice also that the passage did not say that only some, not all individuals, would be given the ability to speak in tongues? I need to repeat this point. It's important. Only some were given the gift of tongues. In 1 Corinthians 12, straight after the passage I read to you, the Apostle Paul emphasises the fact that just as the human body is composed of various parts that work in harmony, so it is with Christian believers. He points out that it's totally ridiculous to have a body composed only of eyes. The body would not function. The same applies to the idea that being able to speak in tongues is mandatory, that is, you must speak in tongues to be saved. That idea was not supported by Jesus, and the idea is not supported by the Apostle Paul. One of the gifts mentioned in the passage from 1 Corinthians 12 was faith. In the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, faith is mentioned again, along with knowledge and the gift of prophecy. Three gifts, plus hope and love. And then the Apostle points out what is required, what is a must in the Christian's life. After pointing out the senselessness and futility of certain characteristics in the Christian life, the last words of the chapters say, but the greatest of these is love the requirement, the essential ingredient in the lives of saved people is not speaking in tongues, but the characteristic of being loving and kind to others. You can be saved if you do not speak in tongues, but according to the Apostle Paul, you can't be saved if you don't have love. The Holy Spirit was introduced that is told about by Jesus, when he told his disciples that he was going away back to heaven. He called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth, or Counselor, and in some versions of the Bible, Comforter. He also outlined what the Holy Spirit would mainly be involved in doing. We can read this in the Gospel of John, chapter 16 and verses 8 to 14. The Holy Spirit would, A, convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness and judgment. B, he would guide people into all truth. C, he would reveal the future. And D, he would bring glory to Jesus. 
when people are troubled and feel guilty as they realise that they've done wrong. That is when the Holy Spirit is at work in them. Some say that their conscience is working. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to lead people to know truth. Truth as revealed in God's Word, the Bible. There is no conflict between what the Bible says and what the Spirit reveals. If a person has a so-called revelation by the Spirit, and if it is in contact, a conflict that is at odds with what the Bible says, you can be certain that the revelation was not by the Holy Spirit. God's written word, the Bible, and any revelation must be in harmony. Where a so-called revelation of the Spirit differs from the word of God, you can know for certain that the revelation or message wasn't from the Holy Spirit. In 1 Timothy 3.16, we're told that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. If there is a disagreement between God's Word and the revelation of the Spirit, and if both messages were supposed to come from God, then there's a problem. God would be disagreeing with himself, and that's impossible. It is the work of the Spirit to reveal the future. And this has been done, and prophets have been given the messages to share with the people. And finally, Jesus said the Spirit would bring glory to him, as after all, he was the one through the sacrifice he made, whereby people can be saved. The Holy Spirit cannot save you. He is the agency to lead us to Jesus who can save. We'll have a little break and then we'll go on straight afterwards.
was just explaining to you before the break about what the work of the Holy Spirit is. And yet there are some people who seem to think that the main task of the Holy Spirit is getting people to speak in tongues. The first time we read about speaking in tongues in the Bible is in the book of Acts, chapters 1 and 2. After Jesus' ascension back to heaven, the disciples were required to wait for the Spirit to come. So they were gathered together in one place where they had been for many days in earnest prayer. There were about 120 people altogether. Then something happened on the day of a Jewish festival when all the Jewish males were expected to be in Jerusalem and worship at the temple. Today we call that day Pentecost, although the Jewish name was Shavuot, meaning the Feast of Weeks. Among other things, that day was set aside to celebrate the giving of the law by God on Mount Sinai. Jerusalem was a busy place that day, and Jewish men had come to worship from all around, from Israel and the surrounding countries. The disciples gathered in the room were praying, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's found in Acts 2, verses 2 to 4. What sounded like a tornado was heard all over the city, and bewildered people came to see what was happening. They heard the storm, but there was no damage. A crowd gathered, and the disciples went out to talk to them. Astonishingly, the people heard the disciples speak in other languages, their own languages. The Bible records in Acts 2 that there were people there representing at least 14 language groups. The people in the crowd declared, We hear them, hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, What does this mean? Then the apostle Peter and eleven of the other disciples stood up and addressed the crowd. And Peter spoke about Jesus and the way of salvation. Many people were convicted of their sins and wanted to become Christians. About 3,000 men were baptised that one day. We need to note that what languages they heard were their own known languages. They were not hearing some unknown languages. We don't know if any of the disciples could speak these other languages later on. Maybe, like what has happened since, when the need for speaking in another language was no longer needed, the gift was taken away. There are records of people later in the history of the early church who spoke in other languages. The question is, why did God, through the Holy Spirit, give such a gift, or any gift for that matter? The answer is found in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 22 and 26. There are two reasons. 
Verse 22 says, Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. And then in verse 26 it says that these gifts are for strengthening of the church. In other words, the gift of speaking other languages was for teaching the gospel messages to unbelievers and believers alike. It does not say anything about personal edification. You may know that the Apostle Paul was called the Apostle to the Gentiles. He visited quite a lot of different countries where there were many different languages and dialects spoken. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul had this to say, I thank God that I speak in tongues, that is, languages, more than all of you. But in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That is, something that nobody understands. Here it's shown quite clearly that the gift of tongues or languages was for instruction. There is no point in saying words that have no meaning to the listeners. The Apostle Paul had been given the ability to speak many languages as he was the one who spread the gospel to various countries and regions during his three mission journeys lasting over seven years. There is a common belief held by those who claim to be able to speak in tongues that they are given a language that is confidential between themselves and God. It is not a known language. The reason, they say, is for self-edification, a kind of cleansing of the mind which makes them feel good. When we consider the reason the gift of languages was given in the first place, one could be justifiably sceptical about the gift being given for self-edification. Why would God give a special unknown language to speak to him when a known language is quite satisfactory? Is it not possible to pray to God in the normal language without having some other language which is neither understood by the speaker nor anyone who hears it spoken? God is God of order, not a God of confusion. A man once told me that he was a tongues speaker and that the Spirit would sometimes reveal to him a Bible text in the so-called spirit language. He would then get a Bible and look up the text and read it in English. To me, that's a confusing way to do things. And I have grave misgivings about whether the Holy Spirit was behind it all. Why not reveal the text to him in English, the language the text was written in? God is a God of order, not a God of confusion. Before finishing today, I want to tell you a true and strange story. On Thursday, April 3, 1817, a strange woman appeared in Armonsbury, a small town near Bristol in Gloucestershire, England. 
She was five foot two, extremely attractive, and wore a black shawl twisted turban style around her head. She spoke no known language, and so had to communicate with the people of the town through gestures. Because she appeared to have been wandering the countryside alone, either lost or destitute, she was sent to see the overseer of the poor, who in turn sent her to Knoll Park, the home of Samuel Worrell, the magistrate of the county. When the Worrells met the woman, however, they found her less disturbing than intriguing. Mrs. Worrell in particular was fascinated by her. The woman's language was like nothing she'd ever heard. The woman's hands were soft, not those of a labourer. And when the woman noticed a picture of a pineapple hanging on the wall, she pointed at it excitedly, as if recognising it from her homeland. She exhibited other strange behaviour, such as refusing to drink out of a glass until she'd washed it herself. What puzzled Mrs. Worrell, however, was that although her language and uh, by her language and behaviour, the woman seemed to be from some far exotic corner of the world, and yet the woman's features were definitely European. Mrs. Worrell wondered if the woman was Spanish, Greek, or even a gypsy. Despite Mr. Worrell's misgiving, the woman soon came to live at Knoll Park, while Mrs. Worrell tried to solve the mystery of her origin. Clues began to emerge. First, the Worrells learned that the woman's name was Caribou, or at least the woman would frequently say the word caribou while pointing at herself. Then a Portuguese sailor appeared, who claimed to be able to speak her language. Translating for the woman, the sailor explained that she was a princess in her own land, the island of Javasu. She had been abducted from her island home by sailors, and after a long and arduous journey, she had escaped from her captors by jumping overboard in the English Channel and swimming to shore. When the Worrells learned that Caribou was actually foreign royalty, they immediately announced her presence at their house to the newspapers, and soon all of England knew about Princess Caribou. For a few weeks, the princess lived in grand style, spending her days dancing, fencing, climbing trees, praying to her god Alatala, entertaining the numerous visitors who came to see her and swimming naked in the lake when she was alone. This last behaviour gained her enormous notoriety. The Worrells, meantime, basked in the reflected glory. However, the party came to an abrupt end when a woman called Mrs. Neal recognised a description of Caribou printed in the Bath Chronicle. She revealed that Caribou had recently been employed as a servant at her house, where she had entertained the children by speaking a strange, nonsense language of her own creation and that her true name was Mary Baker. 
daughter of a cobbler in Witheridge, Devonshire. Caribou reluctantly admitted that she was a fraud. However, she came to uh, create the character of Princess Caribou. Her deception was powerfully aided by the desire of people to believe that the character was real. Mary Baker deceived people, and there is a lot of deception going on in some churches. They believe what they want to believe, and not what God wants them to believe. There is a lot of feel-good activity in some of these churches. But it is important to remember that those who are God's people keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. They will not be those who follow the crowd, even if it's a popular religious crowd. Be warned, Satan is in the business of deception. Make sure that you don't get caught up in his deceptions. Make the written word of God, the Bible, your guide, and you cannot go wrong. Test everything. Hold on to the good, is the wise instruction in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Do you need to speak in tongues, that is, other languages, to be saved? Certainly not. And if someone tells you that you must, don't believe them. They are deceiving you. They do not speak the truth. Our time is up for today. May God be with you this week. And I wish you peace and joy and God's special blessings until our next appointment next time.